So last week we saw that Saul, the great persecutor of the church, became a Christian. Jesus met him. Jesus saved his soul. That was the first part of Acts chapter 9. Today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 19. If you are using a blue Bible, it's on, uh, turn to page 1016. So our passage begins with Acts chapter 9, verse 19. And the way the English Standard Version that I'm using has it, it kind of has us starting at the beginning of a paragraph, which is like halfway through verse 19. So if you have a different version, it might differ slightly. But what I don't read was in last week's passage. Next week, I'm going to preach on verse 31. One verse next week. I had planned to preach on it this week, but there's just too much there that needs to be shared. So verse 31 is next week, and then we'll finish chapter 9 the week after that. So Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. You all, this is the word of the Lord. Dive into it for a few minutes yourself, and when the time's right, your table leader will begin the discussion. Did y'all know this can happen here? Did y'all know this can happen here? Somebody might kill you or try to kill you or someone you know because you're being obedient to Jesus. This could, may happen here. Someone may plan to kill you, attempt to kill you, or kill you because you follow Jesus. Someone you may know, someone you know, may be targeted because you all are being, because we are being 
obedient to Jesus. Nothing easy about being a Christian. It's not for the light of heart. It is a battle. These are not new themes in the book of Acts, are they? Nothing new here. Nothing new at all. We have two stories in our passage today. And my goodness, it doesn't it just seem like the same thing happened in two different cities back to back? <laughs> the first two cities that Saul ever preaches in, they try to kill him in both places. But there's more to the story than that. There's more to the story than that. Before we get too far, I want us to look back at verse 17. This was near the end of last week's passage. Last week's passage told us how Jesus appeared to him and how he believed and repented and turned to God. And in that faith, in that repentance, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You all, the Holy Spirit does in us what he did in Saul. The Holy Spirit does in us what he did in Saul. What do I mean by that? I mean that God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't give the Holy Spirit to Saul just because he's really impressed with Saul and not with you. In addition to that, I mean that God desires to come in. you. And all who believe, all who turn to God in repentance can walk in the fullness of God's Spirit. And when your cup is full, when your heart and your mind and your soul is full of the Holy Spirit, who is God Himself, you can't help but do the things that God wants you to do. You can't help but desire to obey God because God is in you affecting everything about your life. One more thing about you know, the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing in you that he did in Saul. We're not apostles, are we? Most of us are never going to do what Saul did Maybe all of us. And God's going to be perfectly okay with that. But all of us have gifts and callings from God. Because we all are working together to disciple the nations. We want to make new disciples here and now. We want to make stronger disciples here and now. And we want this ministry to be felt to the uttermost ends of the earth. I can't do that by myself. Me and Joe aren't going to do it without you. It takes us all doing it. And so you, child of God, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to do whatever it is that God is telling you to do so that the world hears that Jesus Christ is the King. 
We must be filled with his Holy Spirit. So in our passage, he's in Damascus first, and then he goes to Jerusalem. He became a Christian in Damascus. If you look at Galatians 1 quickly, uh, and we're not, I'm not going to turn there, but, but if you read Galatians 1, it says that right after Paul became a Christian, he went into Arabia for some time to, by himself. Now, Arabia was just east of Damascus. It may not have been, he, he probably didn't even go as far into Arabia as what he did to get from Jerusalem to Damascus. Damascus was pretty close by, but it was a desert area. It was a wilderness area. And I recall that the same thing happened to Jesus. After Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days in the desert also. And so if you look at Galatians 1, we also see that he spent about three years in Damascus before he took the trip to Jerusalem. And so here in these, what, 11 or so verses, we have a time period of over three years probably that passed by. So there's a lot of things that happened in Damascus that happened in Jerusalem. And you all, Luke is the man who wrote this. Luke also wrote Luke. But Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke, um, I, I, I got to think that he was intentional in recording these two stories in this way. What I want to do is look at a number of things that happened in both of these cities. The first thing I want you to see is that Saul had fellowship in both places. Look at verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Look at verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. You all, in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. What is fellowship? What does it mean to be with other Christians? It means that we share and we participate. How do you define fellowship? You know, if you're outside of the church, fellowship is not a word you use very often, right? It's a churchy word, right? What does it mean? It means to share And it means to participate. You all, we all belong to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to share with one another. One person's abundance is another person's lack. One person's joy is another person's comfort. And if you don't know the people in your church family, how in the world can you serve them in their time of need? How can you build them up? How can they build you up? How can you receive from them when you are in need? You all, we got to share. We got to participate. For some of us, that means we got to lay down our pride. This is new to you. And I tell you, don't worry about being embarrassed. There's a lot about us that's embarrassing too. We are who we are. 
And we are walking towards Jesus together. And we want to do what Paul wrote in Romans 15, 7. We want to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So that's the first thing that happened in both stories. The second thing that happened in both stories is that there was a fear of Saul. They were afraid. Look at verse 21. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? I should say they're either afraid or amazed because there's no mention of fear in this. Look at verse, the second part of verse 26. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. The Christians in Jerusalem had seen him there when Stephen was executed. The Christians knew what he had been doing. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says that Saul was ravaging the church. Okay, he killed their dad. He killed their mom. He killed their kid. He killed their pastor. He killed them. They have really good reason to not be afraid, don't they? You all, having fellowship with other people who were doing horrible things last week can be frightening. Uh, Isn't that... But weren't we that person at one point ourselves? You all, human nature... has us sticking closely with those that we're most comfortable with. We like sticking with our own tribe. But the gospel of King Jesus unifies people from all different walks of life and background because we're all submitted to Him. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So therefore, by that blood, we are part of the same family. For the Christians in Jerusalem, the man who used to kill them is now no longer an enemy. He is their friend. Third thing we see in both passages is there's proclamation. Saul was doing what I'm doing right now. He's proclaiming and teaching truth to groups of people. His was more public than what I'm doing currently. But Saul was proclaiming. He had a message, and that message had content. That mess, you, you know, it wasn't just willy-nilly, whatever. No, it was very specific. Look at verse 20. Immediately, Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. That's pretty specific, isn't it? He is God's Son. Look at verse 27. Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. That's what we covered last week. And how at Damascus he had boldly preached and then preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he, that is Saul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So what type of proclamation was this? It was bold. When we were back in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 last year, we saw... That boldness has to do with a humble confidence. So, sometimes we shy away from the word bold because we think it automatically means that if you're going to be bold, you've got to be a jerk. No. God's people are bold and we aren't jerks. At least we're not supposed to be. 
You can proclaim the gospel. You can tell people spiritual truth without being a jerk. Even when the spiritual truth that you are saying may be offensive to them or may exclude them or others. You can say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to God except through Jesus. Well, that can be offensive to many. That is very exclusive. It excludes others. It says there's only one way. You all, we need to be bold in that. But we aren't going to be jerks and we aren't going to yell at people. We do it in humble confidence. You all, in both of these cities, he preached to the Jews. In Damascus, the proclamation is in the synagogue. That's kind of, a, it's kind of like a church gathering. Once a week on the Jewish Sabbath, which was Saturday, not Sunday, they'd gather for worship. And so here, he's proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. And we know that Jerusalem was almost entirely Jewish. So he was proclaiming to the Jews first. And Jesus said that he would do that when he appeared to him in last week's passage. You all, it says that Jesus is the Son of God. At my table today, we had some great discussion about what that meant. Do you remember when Jesus got baptized? He came up out of the water. What did God the Father say when he came up out of the water? This is my beloved Son. With him, I am well pleased. Did you all know that when Jesus sent demons out of people, there were multiple occasions where the demons said, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. The demons knew he was the Son of God. Do you all remember when Jesus sent his disciples in the boat across the Sea of Galilee and a storm came? And No, wrong story. I'm getting two stories mixed up. Sorry. I did read that story, but I wasn't planning to talk about it. They were sailing across the sea in a boat, and Jesus came walking to them on the water. Peter was like, I want to do that. So Peter got out, and he walked on the water towards Jesus. Peter started to sink, and because he looked at the wind of the waves instead of looking at his Lord. Jesus saved Peter from sinking. They got back in the boat... And here's what happened. Here's what it says. This is my beloved son. No, he said, truly, they said, truly, you are the son of God. At Jesus's transfiguration, when he appeared in bright light to some of his closest followers, God said this about his son. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Same thing God said at the baptism, right? But he said one more thing after that. God said, listen to him. God the Father in heaven spoke audibly. Jesus was there. He says, this is my son whom I love very much. And he commands them just as he commands us today to listen to him. And then when Jesus was hanging on the cross... His life had left his body. And one of the high-ranking Roman soldiers said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. Jesus' own siblings didn't believe him at that time. But that Roman soldier, who probably had authority over the men who were driving the nails, he said, Truly, that is the Son of God. 
So Paul carried this message. Paul carried this message that God's son has come. That's what he was proclaiming. Another thing we see, and this thing that I'm about to share, um, it's not something that Christians do much at all today. For much of my life, I've been scared of doing what I'm about to share. Over the last few years, I've begun to do it more and more, and I'm learning, and it's good. It's hard, but it's good, and it's starting to become more normal. And I believe that the types of things that we're getting ready to look at in verse 22 and 29 are the things that caused the people to want to kill him. Which may be one of the reasons why it doesn't come super naturally to us. There's defense. Paul offers a defense of what he's proclaiming. He's willing to debate it or dispute it. And there is ongoing conversation. When Paul ministered somewhere, and I believe this is exactly how our ministry is to be today, there has to be a proclamation of truth followed by ongoing conversation over time. The majority of people don't get saved the first time they hear the gospel. The majority of people that get saved don't get saved the first time they hear the gospel. It is often, a, a, their salvation is instantaneous, but the process of getting to that point is often a process. It takes time. So what we're about to look at is what happens after Paul preached and proclaimed the message. Look in verse 22. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 29, Saul spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So what's the word, what does the word confounded mean in verse 22? It has to do, it's closely connected with the word consternation. Well, that doesn't help us either, does it? Because we don't use that word much either. Much do we? You all, to confound or to be consternated has to do with terror combined with amazement or dismay. It has to do with being alarmed. I, Creed slept in our guest room last overnight. Long story why he did that. But um, I forgot he was in there. And about 7.30 or so, I walked in there and I turned the light on. He popped his head. I was like, what are you doing, Dad? I'm sorry. So I turned the light on real quick. He rolled over and went back to sleep for 10 or 20 more minutes. He was alarmed. You all, this word, all in verse 22, it also has to do with fright, astonishment, surprise, panic, or being perturbed. Perturbed is actually a word. It's not a word I would have expected to find in the dictionary. The people who were hearing him say these things felt this way. The Jews who didn't like his message were experiencing internal fright, dismay, and terror. 
Probably because if he was right, then they were wrong. And obviously, something really powerful had just happened to him because he is the exact opposite of who he was. So there is something dramatic and powerful going on. They have reason to be afraid. At the end of verse 22, it says, He proved, or was proving, that Jesus is the Christ. You all, He's persuasive. Y'all, we got to be persuasive, okay? That doesn't mean you have to know everything. It helps to know lots of stuff. It helps to read good books, no doubt. Sometimes, and I'm looking at some of you in here, you've said these types of things to me, and I have felt this way too in the past. You feel like you can't talk to somebody because what if they say this or that, and you don't know the answer, and that stops you from proclaiming Jesus Christ as God's King and Savior, right? I'm talking to you, aren't I? You're afraid of what they're going to say, so you don't say it. You don't have to have all the answers for them today. It's an ongoing thing. I want you to embrace that idea and be okay with that. Y'all hear me talk about my witch friends occasionally. I got two of them that are waiting for me to respond to something right now. And if we were face-to-face, I would talk to them about it really easy. But we're not. We're on stupid Facebook. And I just don't have time to write things down and argue with them in that setting. So I'm preparing a a long defense of something, and I'm going to present it to them. And the gospel is going to be in there, and I think a lot of people are going to read it. I love and hate Facebook. So, there is ongoing conversation... And we are called to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And part of that is what we see in verse 29. Y'all, we don't like this part either. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, what's a Hellenist? A Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Jew. Okay, don't, don't get lost in that. Okay, it was a Jewish person that was not a Christian. And they weren't from Jerusalem, but they were Jewish. So, and, and Saul, that was Saul. Saul was a part of the Hellenist group, okay? Because he grew up in Tarsus, which is two-week journey, easy from Jerusalem. You all, Saul disputed with those who did not believe his message. You mean I'm supposed to argue with them? In humble, bold confidence, yes. I'm telling you, to lovingly argue with them. But shouldn't we be known for what we believe and what we are for instead of what we are against? Absolutely. But if we're only known for what we do believe and what we're in favor of and we're not known for what we oppose, then those who oppose us won't have any reason to listen to us, y'all. We love the passage in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. The belt of truth, the blessed plate of righteousness, the shield of faith. You have your feet fitted with the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? I don't know. But we like the idea of the armor of God, right? But 
usually when we like that idea, we're only thinking about how it protects us. We don't think about wearing it so we can go into battle, do we? You all, Satan thinks that he owns and rules this world. We are the people of God. Jesus came and invaded this world. God has set Jesus up as the one true king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We are ruling and reigning with Christ. We are to have the armor of God, not just to protect us when things are hard, but so that we can march straight into the fire. Y'all, we like the book of Revelation too, don't we? You know? I, I wholeheartedly believe there's a lot of things in Revelation that we think are only for the future that are actually for us today. In chapter 1, and in chapter 1 is easy, it is no doubt for us today as it was for them in the first century. In chapter 1, John has a revelation of Jesus. He sees Jesus. Y'all, there's a double-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. What do you think that means? <laughs> he is a conquering king. He is a conquering warrior. We are subjects in his kingdom. And we are fighting with him. You all to dispute that word in verse 29. It has to do with questioning something. Or rethinking what you had always believed to be true. Saul is disputing with them. He's calling them to think through the error of their most foundational beliefs. In Mark one twenty seven, Jesus casts out a demon. And you know what the people said? It said they questioned among themselves. That word question in the Greek is the same word that we get dispute from. The people who saw Jesus, it was one of his earliest miracles. They saw him deliver a man from a demon. And they questioned themselves. They had to rethink the most foundational things that they believed. Saul is doing that with these Hellenistic Jews. We are to do that with the culture around us. I told you we are to argue with people. This Greek word translated dispute is also used to say multiple times that when Jesus was alive, the Pharisees argued with Jesus. They were debating him and trying to persuade him. Now, they did a bad job and they didn't convince Jesus. And they've gone down on a rough side of history. They argued with Jesus. That's what Saul is doing here with unbelievers. He is Disputing and arguing with them. In Acts chapter 6 verse 9, y'all remember Stephen? They killed him, right? Well, before they killed him, it says that he was disputing and arguing with his opponents. And there's over a half dozen other references that I have found after this in the book of Acts where Saul is disputing or arguing. Now listen. If you're under 18, or if you're still living with your parents, I'm not telling you to go home and argue with your siblings. Don't you dare do it because of what I just said. What I am saying is that we all are called to challenge the beliefs 
of those who don't follow Christ. The next thing in this passage, they tried to kill Saul. When you argue and dispute with others, there comes a time when they can no longer reason with you. They're not going to want to talk anymore. And they may want to harm you or us. Matthew Henry says that where God gives great grace, he commonly gives great difficulties and trials. And great grace has been poured out on Saul. And with that comes the trials. You all, we can't be quiet. Jesus didn't stop just because of opposition, did he? We are his people. We are to continue in the face of opposition. There's more similarities in these two passages. In both of these passages, God sovereignly and providentially warned Saul of the plot to kill him, right? God was protecting Saul, was he not? Y'all, Jesus, after he started his ministry, it was about three years between the time he preached, began preaching and the time he died. And the Bible in multiple places said that people were trying to capture him, but he slipped through the crowds and escaped. And that happened over and over again until it didn't. God and Jesus knew when his time was. And he always had the power to escape until it was the right time for him to die. For Saul, two occasions in this single passage, early on in his ministry, where God sovereignly and providentially warned him, there are people trying to kill you. And God protected him over and over and over again, probably hundreds of times until he didn't. There was a time when God stopped protecting Saul. It was around 30 years after his conversion. Saul was in front of the Roman emperor Nero, who's one of the most evil men in all of history, and Nero condemned him. He sent, his head, he sent him to the chopping block. Saul's head was put on the block, and the axe came down, and Saul was gone. And he was in the glory of heaven, you all. God sovereignly and providentially protects his people from harm until he doesn't. And that is good, and that is okay. Look at verse 25. Two times Saul escaped, and he did it with the help of Christians, both times. Verse 25, his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Y'all, the city of Damascus, as many cities did, they had a giant thick wall around it. And the only way you could get in and out was through the gates or by going out one of the windows that was way up high. And so he was able to escape. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says the governor 
of Damascus was working hard and had all the gates guarded because they wanted to capture him and kill him. Verse 30, it says, When the brothers learned about the plot to kill him, they brought him out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, and they sent him to Tarsus. You all, this gospel message, our message, which is the same message that Saul preached, is a call for people to deny themselves. It is a call for people to come and die. Jesus said, if anybody is going to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul would later write, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. There's something in Paul here that had died. Remember, he denied himself. Paul went on to say in Galatians 2.20, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You all, if you want Jesus to be in your life, then part of you has got to die. That's called repentance. Laying down that part of you that dishonors God and leaving it behind and running to Jesus. So I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You all, Saul said, I no longer live. He's not living for himself, but he lives with Christ. He lives faith. It says, by faith, he lives today by faith in the Son of God. Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul did all the things he did through ongoing faith in Christ. In who? In the Son of God. This Jesus, the Son of God that Saul is proclaiming, he is following himself with everything that is in him. And he ends Galatians 2.20 by saying this, who, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want you all to know that Jesus Christ loves you and He has given Himself up for you. Jesus taught that everyone who looks on the Son of God in faith will have eternal life. I want to ask you, have you looked on the Son of God in faith? Do you have the assurance and hope of heaven that only Jesus can give? Do you have the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide? Jesus also said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you don't know Jesus, church, I want you all to run to Jesus. There is wrath that awaits those who do not come to this Jesus. But He loves you and He gave Himself for you. He loves you so much to take you just as you are right now should you be willing to follow Him. He will do more for you than anyone has ever done. 
And once you grab hold of Him and receive all that He has to give, He's not going to leave you behind or walk away from you. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning that He has been through temptations just like we have. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be hurting. He knows what it's like to have life not going easy. He can identify with you wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life right now. He has already come to you. What you have to do is come to Him, grab hold of Him in faith, and never let go. And when you do that, you all eternal life is yours. Wrath and hell and punishment is removed from you. Your sins are wiped away and He pours His Holy Spirit out on you. If you're not a Christian, I want you to become one today. If you're not a Christian, I want you to become one today. If you are a Christian, I want us to work together to do exactly what Saul did in this passage. Let's pray.